0: When most people think of their personal health data, they think about their medical records. And they usually reside, unconnected, in the offices of my primary care doctor and the specialists or in imaging companies, hospitals, etc. And these records contain information about me, like vital signs, prescriptions, my chronic conditions if I have them, and physician notes, and much more.
1: But health data represent so much more than that, since most health, happens outside of medical care settings. It includes your personal circumstances, the choices you make, and the things that you do. This includes information from apps that log your workouts. It's information from your past, like trauma or adverse childhood events. It's information about where you live, what you eat and drink, your education, salary, emotional and social history, and other things, all combining to provide the whole picture of your health.
2: That was Johan Sonin and Annie Lakey Becker. Johan is the director of GoInvo, a Boston-based digital design studio with expertise in healthcare design and system engineering. Annie is a Seattle-based public health professional. They were reading from their first opinion essay titled, It's Time for Individuals, Not Doctors or Companies, to Own Their Health Data. I'll bring you our conversation after a word from our sponsor. If you enjoy the First Opinion podcast, you can get exclusive coverage from Stat with a subscription to Stat Plus. Stat Plus delivers daily market-moving coverage of biotech, pharma, healthcare, and the life sciences writ large from our award-winning team of reporters. As a special thanks for listening to the podcast, you can get 10% off at Stat Plus subscription and 10% off a ticket to our upcoming in-person event in New York on December 9th called a look ahead at biotech in 2022, by using the code POD, that's P-O-D in all caps. To subscribe to Stat Plus, you can use that code at statnews.com slash subscribe. To register for the event with the P-O-D code, visit statnews.com slash look ahead, all one word. Welcome to the First Opinion Podcast. I'm Pat Scarrett, editor of First Opinion, stats platform for articles written by biotech insiders, healthcare workers, researchers, and others with interesting or illuminating or provocative perspectives to share about the life sciences writ large. It's great to talk with
1: you both. Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
2: You know, most people who write about health data our folks deep into this topic. Like many of the people I heard from after Stat published your first opinion, they sent deep, mostly turgid explanatory emails about health data. You two seem to be outside the realm. So what was it that put a bee in your bonnets, to use an old phrase, about this
0: topic? Oh, that's a a wooly question with a wooly answer. So let me back up. So how do you guys?
2: Connect. How do you know each other?
1: So um, I reached out to Johan when I learned about GoInvo. Um, I personally was moving uh, from the space of being a research scientist. I was a public health research scientist uh, and am looking to move kind of more into the technical space. Uh, and I really love the work that Yuhan uh, is doing there in Arlington. Uh, so I sent him an email and from there it was a telephone conversation. And I, I kind of started uh, hanging out with uh, the troop there uh, to to kind of get involved with some of their work.
2: And so this is Arlington, Massachusetts, correct? Correct. Not
0: Arlington, Virginia. Where the head uh, of a the
2: FBI s- and all, all sorts of stuff is happening,
0: yeah. also, Yeah. I mean, that, that sucking sound of our tax dollars, just <sighs> there and Wisconsin, you know, closer to where Epic is. When I first got into healthcare, it was like many, there's a serendipitous moment in your life, whether it's helping your parents or your siblings or children with some healthcare event. Um, And in my case, it was very, uh, I had no idea what was happening with my body after a lab result. I got a lab result back at at a little fabulous little clinic inside of a corporate firewall that you walk up to. And I got an initial reading back on my cholesterol. And that got me into like, wow, I had no idea what was happening inside of this um, marshmallow body. Uh, And I need to figure out what's happening there along, and several colleagues uh, of mine and I started to figure that out and got into the data game of healthcare. And since that time, we've learned a lot about what has and what hasn't happened in the land of health IT and on the policy side. And so, from the very beginning, we've been sort of advocating for, well, no, it's your data. It's my body, damn it. Um, and I don't actually own the data. How nuts is that? And so that has sort of propelled us over years to think about, well, what is the policy that is driving our proliferation of health data in the US, in the EU, and on Spaceship Earth? And it really has been the past couple years that we've gotten more and more interested in the idea of ownership, because we know it's not the only issue in healthcare. There are many, and this may be a top 20, 25 issue. It certainly is not probably a top 10, but it is an important component and puzzle piece for how we think about healthcare in this country. So let me, let me just back up
2: here. So when I was a kid in the 1950s and 1960s, our family's pediatrician, Dr. Martin Sachs, I can still picture him, Um, he had all my information on paper charts. And one of his nurses would bring in this little folder when I was having my visit, I could see the pieces of paper in there. At the time, did I own that or did he, or was nobody even thinking
1: about that? Back then, there wasn't quite as much of a market for data. Um, And I think that that's kind of what's really pushing a lot of the conversation around this.
2: So that's the to me that's one of the the key pieces of your your essay, and then I I just like to back into it a little bit before we get into the market and the value of this information. Did the issue? So Annie, I think you sort of said that the 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 issue sort of changed with the emergence of readily accessible and transmissible health information, which means. Johan, as you said earlier, EPIC um, and electronic health records. Dame Judy. <laughs> so with the, the electronic health record has really triggered something new here,
1: hasn't it? It absolutely has. Uh, the, the fact is that, you know, today we have really large organizations that have, you know, turned our health data into a market in and of itself. Uh, and so and so it, it, it does it does change the way that large organizations are looking at people's health data. I'm going to pause right there because like my personal interest in like health data ownership is looking at it from the health equity perspective um, okay. as a as a public health you know, research scientist myself. Uh, and so like like there's there's many different sides to this. It's not just a coin. Uh, and so my, my personal expertise is a little bit outside of, you know, what some of the large organizations are doing with health data.
2: Your essay sort of expanded, at least for me, it expanded the concept of what health data actually is. Could you, because it's now coming from all sorts of, of rivers. You know, you started the essay by saying that health information should be like a mountain stream. You know, something clear that flows in one direction, but but it isn't really anymore, is it?
1: No, because it's coming from absolutely every direction. It's it. We are generating health data from our Alexa searches or our you know Google Voice searches. We're generating health data you know with our Apple Watches and our Fitbits. It's from every single one of your like Google searches according to C. A. There we go. This is exactly city? what yeah. we're talking about.
2: Did 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 you did you pay your device to do that?
1: Case in point.
2: Annie, could you just explain what happened so listeners who are hearing this know what just happened cuz it's totally to the point.
1: So, that was my thermostat. My thermostat <laughs> is plugged into Alexa. And it heard that I was talking about health data. And so it was searching health data information for me, my thermostat. And that is going into some sort of record that Amazon hosts in its cloud somewhere. Uh, and, and so all of that is being collected. Uh, and so, you know, you really start talking a little bit more about like surveillance. Well, all of our surveillance data is also health data because that's all being packaged up and put someplace. And what's really interesting is when we start taking some of these data centers and and you look at, you know, I have health data here, I have health data here, I have health data in a million different locations and you can't access it because you don't even know where to look. Every single location where you have ever been a patient, where you have ever done a Google search, where you've ever evidently been, you know, accidentally surveillanced by Alexa. (laughs) Like all of that is information about you that you then have no single unified place where you can go to get that. Um, I was a military brat. And so I could ask TRICARE for my health records from the entirety of the military system. But once I was outside of that, I would have to go and Ask every location where I'd ever been seen to get my data, and of mm. course, like if we had one single location where we could go to get that information, like that would simplify our healthcare system.
2: Johan, are you um, a self-monitored uh, individual like Annie is?
0: Well, I have. I too have lots of weird digital services flying around me. Um, I've even open sourced my health data and my entire genome. Uh, I don't recommend people doing that, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's actually pretty stupid. Um, but it's the idea of lived experience when you're designing these things. But yes, I think we're, many of us are surrounded by many, many services that we don't even know that are running in the background. Some of them though are very useful. And so I think there's this um, uh, aside to this argument, which is not necessarily perfectly clear, which is, you know, I will give up some of my privacy for a net benefit in my life. The question is, right now, we don't have a very um, a, a symmetric relationship with companies like that, we don't have rights associated with that data. And so that's part of the angle here is that, yeah, I should be able to say, hey, I want to donate my data to something. Uh, I want to use my data as a bartering tool, uh, you know, to, to get other services that make me a healthier human. OK, I can buy that. Some people will not. Um, but I think we have to keep this in the open and an option for those that want to do that. The question is, are they trustful are they trustable services um are they responsible are they working in our interest as a patient you know it's the nothing you don't do it uh without my consent um nothing about me without me is the line from years ago uh from about 20 30 years ago oh it's it's still being used by all sorts of organizations yeah and they're damn right about that
1: just to just to like add to what johan was saying you know there's there's plenty of um, research out there that indicates that 80% of all Americans would want to share access to their personal patient data. And so, you know, it's it's really, really clear that there's a lot of demand out there. It's just not necessarily available.
2: Huh? So I, I think a lot of people, I have to include myself here, when I sign up for a, a health or health-related app, I blithely sign away my rights when I download something? And I'm probably in the majority here. Why is data ownership a bigger deal than many people think it is?
1: Just from the health equity perspective, just from the perspective of trying to provide individuals with the opportunity to have um, you know, true healthcare literacy, providing individuals with their lifetime longitudinal health data will give them the opportunity to be able to see how their health is being affected over time, to look at um, and model their options for how to change their lifestyles and what that might mean in terms of their long-term health. And it also, like providing that level of intraoperability will allow providers to be able to see exactly what's happened with that patient. So they can see over their lifetime, oh, this person has a history of trauma, so they could benefit from X, Y, Z things. For example, 75% of all healthcare communications are still to this day happening via fax. And so doctors don't have people's data. They're not able to see what's really going on in somebody's life
2: could it also work in the other direction? you know so somebody like me I'm <clears throat> I spend my day looking up health information um, so I'm kind of uh, uh, I'm not a I'm certainly not a digital native because I'm way too old for that, but I feel like it sometimes. But somebody in Southern Illinois or East Central Wyoming who doesn't have access to broadband and who isn't familiar with um, understanding health data you know are they being pushed aside in this or could somehow this um, own your own data help bring people together?
1: I think that for anyone who has a cell phone and has cell phone service, they would then have access to their data. One of the big things for me um uh, you know, in this, in this crusade really is, um, making sure that literally everyone, uh, you know, from, from tech executives down to individuals who are experiencing homelessness, even all of the 16 year old homeless kids, um, they all have cell phones. This is really an opportunity to, um, provide digital equity and in doing so, It would help to create health equity.
0: And part of that, too, is when you get that on your phone, Pat, to help with your wrangling your health or your life, that's also a design problem, is the fact that we don't have beautiful tools at the moment for any age, whether you're 16, 6, 60, or 124. The tools we have on our phones and other silicon bricks suck. And so that is something that uh, we need all generations to jam on. And so that we can have a multi-generational service or multiple services, depending on your the Rubik's cube of behavior and my uh, how I interact with digital tools or not, or allow this thing to do a lot of things on my behalf, or let me uh, do it all myself because I want every little nit noid in my Tetris little you know model of my health to do a specific thing. I think it will be lots of variation. And it's a really great design problem that we haven't solved yet. Is, is that the kind of thing that you and your colleagues are working on? We pretend to, and um, so we're, we're, we have a few ideas, but um, the hope is that there are many ideas that will make this work, not just one. But there is something to be said for having one standard health record for a human being. So that there is some common schema that describe us in code. And if you don't have that kind of commonality, uh, hopefully it's planetary, but right now we'd be lucky to get something in the states, in all the states, Um, that I think is is something that has to happen at the national scale.
2: Right. And right now that's so fractured. One electronic health record doesn't talk to another. You can't necessarily easily bring in data from one kind of health app versus another because they're all using different Different things. It's it's sort of a mess, isn't
0: it? It is, but you know, there's there are glimmers glimmers of hope. So I think over time you're going to be able to uh, that that's going to settle. But we're not quite there yet, and we need to sort of demand the standards. The fact that the U.S. nationally hasn't done it very well at all is been part of the problem over the past decade. So I know that HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability
2: and Accountability Act of 1996 says that I can request a copy of my information from my healthcare p- provider.
0: Hey, isn't that quaint?
2: But yeah, oh, for for a reasonable fee. Um, but that doesn't quite feel like ownership.
1: We're looking at companies that that are, they have a lot to gain economically uh, and so, you know, it's a big question. This is not this is not the EU and this is not Estonia. There are countries where this I was
2: just going to say, so why do you 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 mentioned Estonia? Why What's its special place?
1: So they created really what I kind of see as the gold standard in terms of health data ownership. They have a single large blockchain uh, where everyone's longitudinal lifetime health data goes. And everyone has equal access to their health data via an online phone app. They are able to see their health data Um, They own it, they have access to it, and it all goes into one centralized location. Um, And the U.S. will never be that, but it could be more like some of the European systems where they are trying to create interoperability between each of the healthcare systems in every country so that people, when they are crossing the borders, still have equal access to their data. And I think that we could build something that's like that. It's just going to take a lot of political will and that's tough to generate.
2: So, Johan, what kind of why would a company want your or Annie's or my health data? What what can they do with that kind of either I can't imagine it's individualized data. What can they do with
0: that kind of data? Oh, they can do all sorts of fun things. Uh Some good, some nefarious. Uh, It's the whole gamut. So Start with with the nefarious first. Well, I mean, more on the business model side of nefarious is what's happening in the Puget Sound region with Truveta. Uh, And what that is, is it's a series of hospitals who are getting together. They're pooling all their health data into one giant data lake. Let's get excited about data lakes. And then monetizing that um, to say, well, let's be able to look at conditions. Let's look at population health. Let's see who we can, uh, what kind of synthetic algorithms we can start to create based on uh, the patient data um, and make money directly off of it. Now, generally I wouldn't be so miffed about just the idea of making money. I mean, that's uh, a very human thing in some ways, or at least capitalist thing. And But here we didn't have an option no patients were given the opt-out rights. Two, the hospitals in more than half of US states owned the data by law. And so they had full rights of access and by By a patient engaging with any of these hospital systems the first time when you're getting a blood pressure check, the data use agreement that you're signing to go into that clinic automatically places the power of ownership and control into the hospital's hands. And that happens across the country. That's not just indigenous to the Puget Sound. You do that here at Mass General Brigham or wherever else it is. And that to me is, is also funny because there are .orgs out for the public interest. And here we have, you know, basically, I mean, maybe we need something different in the way we aggregate data laws around that saying, hey, does the public actually own aggregated data at that
2: level? So, Annie, you mentioned, I think, just a second ago that it it would take incredible political will to kind of get to any patient ownership. What what actually might it take for it to, you know, for you to own your data or me to own mine?
1: Well, I think the first step is to let people know what's really happening so that they can understand it. Uh, So the first thing that has to happen is is public knowledge, because a lot of these things, you know, such as what's happening right here. I'm in Seattle. uh, So what's happening with TruBeta, letting people know, like, hey, like when we go to these clinics, this is automatically what happens with our data, Um, and then from public knowledge, we can start to create legislation. We can start to build coalitions and, and again, you know, it's not all nefarious, you know, like I'm, I'm a public health research scientist myself. I love data. I understand exactly what it takes in terms of, you know, getting institutional review boards on, um, Onto a project and making sure that everyone's data is safely used when scientific research is happening. Uh, and I'm fully aware of the amazing things that we can do with this large aggregated data sets in order to further science. Um, and so, you know, really incredible, wonderful things can happen. It's just a matter of making sure that it's happening in a safe way and giving people the option to opt out if they don't want to participate.
2: So would this be better than some of the public health data that's out there? I know a lot of people have been talking about how public health data doesn't include race or ethnicity at some times. Um, and, and it sounds like this kind of information would include that.
1: Absolutely, because it can it contributes to your whole health data. So it's looking at everything about you. So it would absolutely be the sort of thing that I would want to include into the public health data set. And so really when I'm looking at this and I'm envisioning how we could use it for the future, I would say that all of this would go into a massive API that would then go into a ginormous um, machine learning algorithm where all of this data could then be used for public good.
2: Johan, what most excites you about, you know, uh, let's say we were on the move toward personal ownership of health data. What
0: excites you about that movement? Well, ultimately, I just want to live a healthier, better life. That is my primary goal, along with my family. And... We talk a lot about you know data here because we're in the thick of healthcare and healthcare IT. But most of my time should not be thinking about health data. To be perfectly frank, it should be just about living my damn life. Um, and that, to me, is really the real movement here: is how are we accelerating the at-home self-care, so that it is not so that the healthcare that we get is not driven specifically by me going to a big hospital system uh, and uh, genuflecting there. It is about how I ultimately become a more responsible healthcare citizen. And that to me is so health data ownership is one puzzle piece of many that we need to solve. And what kinds of responses are you getting from
2: people, either insiders or outsiders on this whole idea, which probably many people don't even know about?
0: Well, for those who are Inside baseball, who, who understand some of the underpants of healthcare? There's general nodding. Yeah, yeah. Of course, we need uh, more con- better controls on what's happening with our information. There, there's occasional sniffing at. Well, are uh, you trying? Is this a, a corporate play? Um, who's going to make money on this? Uh, r- realistic questions. However, for the most part, for those who are inside health there's not much resistance. But I think we're going to find, once this broadens, we're gonna find a lot of resistance. <laughs> it's going to blow up in fact, I think, because hospital systems, those who, who are the entities who use patient data will want very specific rules in place, if at all. They have been actively pushing against this for years. Um, in fact, that's that's pretty obvious in what happened with the New Hampshire law, where they sort of accidentally made uh, patients own their record in the state of New Hampshire. But in subsequent years, the judge that ruled on the case said, yeah, that wasn't really the intent or spirit of the law. Um, and so it's hard to use that as like a bellwether for where we can go with this because um, the corporate Components of healthcare data, I think, are going to come roost once this gets a little more play.
2: So let me wrap up with one question. With your colleague Kim Nip, you you wrestled all this information into a comic book. Most people don't think, uh, "Oh, health data comic book," um, but you did a really interesting job of that. Where did that idea come from? Well, uh,
0: I don't read. <laughs> I don't know how to read, so I tend to want things in big paintbrush strokes. So what has been proven to work very well for the species is how do we show how something can work? How do we see it working versus telling? There is something naturally uh vibrating about seeing pictures about hearing things uh versus using different parts of our brain to read and so that's what sometimes sometimes these comics can do or have the potential to do is show a complex problem in a very simple beautiful way that lay out a decent story and then the hope is that the human who's looking at this browsing maybe with a little reading can then understand a little bit better once they get through this graphic novella so I, I urge all of our
2: listeners to take a look at the comic. I'm going to put a link to it on the page that um, uh, from which we post the podcast. And I look forward to the impact that folks like you too can have on data ownership and the future of healthcare. Well, thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
2: Pleasure was mine. Thank you for listening to the First Opinion Podcast. It's produced by Teresa Gaffney. Alyssa Ambrose is the senior producer, and Rick Burke is the executive producer. I love to hear from listeners. Please let me know which First Opinion contributors you'd like to hear on the show, or what topics the podcast should take on. You can do that by sending an email to first.opinion at statnews.com. And if you have a minute, please leave a review or rating on whichever platform you use to get your podcasts. That's it for now. Be well during this strange and uncertain time.